Well, it also helped that the Union Army occupies that land. <laughs> and for those of you that haven't been to West Virginia, that's what the terrain really looks like. So no one ever fought in the terrains of Rosecrans. Uh, Rosecrans is replaced as commander in the Mountain Division. I think they call it. Who is it replaced by? Fremont. Fremont. Very good. Now, why is this important? Well, Fremont was the first candidate of the Republican Party, right, in 1856. So he's always a darling of the radical element of the party. What did Fremont do in 1861? He issued an Emancipation Proclamation. Everybody's in Missouri. You can't be doing that. So what happens is, uh, I think, that it's not uh, uh, an illogical thing to think that if the war was going to be a short war, which they hoped for in 1861, why not get one of our guys well positioned so that maybe he will be the hero? You don't have to accept that, but it is interesting that Rosecrans is successful and he is replaced. And where does he end up? He ends up, oh, we got a quote for you here, actually. This was actually written in the 1900s or so. Uh, Rosecrans, not McClellan, was the hero of Rich Mountain, which battle was decisive for the campaign in West Virginia in 1861, which defeated and discredited Lee and cleared the field for the restoration of civil government. So if Rosecrans had done nothing else but that, he would be a minor, but uh, not an important figure. But he ends up in, oh, sorry, Rosecrans ambulance. Remember I said he was a smart guy. So he, he designed the type of ambulance for wielding of Rosecrans. Uh, this is where he ends up. He ends up in northeastern Mississippi. Okay, and many of you have been to Corinth, right? How many have been to Probably very good. Okay, for those that have it, this was to be a pinzer movement. I dare not use the pointer, so I'll use the old-fashioned pointer. Uh, Rosecrans was to come in from the south, Grant and Ford from the north. They would squeeze Price and the big rate. Uh, what happens is that. Uh, Grant and Ord did not participate in the battle. Now, if you read most histories, they will say that was because there was an acoustical shadow that carried the sound of battle away. That's why Grant didn't participate. Most of us probably heard that, right? Um, but here's what someone wrote. This was published in the Rock Island Argus newspaper, Rock Island, Illinois, in October 28, 1862. Let's go right to the, uh, the bold part. We rested there one day started from Bloomsville, Mississippi, from which place we marched towards Iuka. There we arrived just in time to get the party done to Price's army, and had to go back without seeing the enemy, the disgust of every man in the army. Why were we not, why we were not permitted to participate in this battle and destroy, perhaps, the whole of Price's forces when we were in striking distance is a matter yet unexplained. Yet we had to go back without firing a gun, and the cursing and swearing of the soldier was heard all along the road. We're not being permitted to have a hand in the fight and help the gallant Rosecrans, who had engaged the enemy and was doing his best, but could not keep back the whole crisis forces as his own was not strong enough. Now, this is printed less than two months after the battle. This is someone that heard the sound of the battle. You know, I'm often accused of being uh, overly praising the Rosecrans, but I didn't say the gallant Rosecrans, the man that wrote this. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is from a letter uh, uh, to Thomas Christie, the Minnesota Regiment. Let's just look at the uh, the last part. Here we stay until evening, hearing the brick cannonading to the right, where Rosencrantz, I do see, I do see, Rosencrantz, his name is spelled in so many different ways, is pushing them in. Is there nothing for us to do? 
This is a letter written home. So evidently some people heard. Uh, Ayuka is important because it is the beginning of the rift between Grandma and those kids. And we know who won that, right? We know who's on the $50 bill. We know who's got parts all across the country named for the cows. Then comes Corinth. And Corinth, Mississippi is fought October 3rd and 4th. The Confederates in red there are storming the fortifications. They even get into the heart of, of this town of Corinth, the railroad crossing. And you should know that Corinth actually was the important objective for the Battle of Shiloh. Shiloh was a church at a place called Pittsburgh Landing. Corinth is where they really wanted the railroad crossroads. Uh, then they are repulsed by the Confederates, and Rosecrans has the temerity to rest his troops after fighting for two days and then pursue the next day. There will be many histories that say, why didn't he pursue me? Fewer people ask, where was Ulysses S. Grant? This is from Sherman's memoirs. You have to be careful with memoirs, but Sherman would have no reason to embellish this. The effect of the Battle of Corinth was very great. It was indeed a decisive blow to the Confederate cause in our quarter and changed the whole aspect of affairs in West Tennessee. From the timid offensive, we were at once enabled to assume the bold offensive. In Memphis, the citizens openly admitted that their cause was sustained in death. Well, the situation between Rosecrans and uh, Grant is not good, and Rosecrans asked to be removed from Grant's command. And he ends up in, oh, excuse me, I always forget this good one. And we're right in the place because you should know who these people are. This is from Joseph Medill. You all know Joseph Medill? I, I don't have to say the Chicago Tribune, I can say the editor of the, the Tribune, right? He wrote, L.E. Washburn, <coughs> when do you think the Union is going to be saved out west? I write to you because it is through your influence mainly that Grant holds the trust which he thus betrays. No man's military career in the Army is more open to destructive criticism than Grant's. We have kept off of him on your account. We could have made him stink in the nostrils of the public like an old fish had we properly criticized his military blunders. Look at that miserable and costly campaign in northern Mississippi when he sent crazy Sherman to Vicksburg and agreed to beat him there by land. Was there ever a more weak and imbecile campaign? But we forbore exposing him to the examination. Now, again, I didn't write this. Joseph wrote this. I'm sparing you what C.C. Washburn, his brother, wrote to me. See that on your own. But let's analyze this a little bit more. These are both on the same side. They both are not only want the Union to win, they're both Republicans. But Joseph Medill has no real interest in who emerges as the leading general. He wants to get the war won. Elliot Washburn of Galena, Illinois, the man who really created Grant and sustained it after Shiloh and after the problems in northeastern Mississippi, does have an interest in who ends up. So I think that's very important to notice. So where does Rosecrans end up? He ends up in Middle Tennessee. He takes over the army, well, not Middle Tennessee, but uh, takes over the army of the Cumberland. And they fight December 31st and January 1st, January 2nd, the Battle of Murfreesboro Stones River. And I'm assuming a lot of the Stones were right. And you see that big arrow thrusting there. The, the right wing of the Union Army was surprised, and Confederates come across. And then the question is, will they be able to get in the rear of the Union Army and take the, the pipe there, the Nashville pipe, and then cut off us? Uh, 
line of retreat, Rosecrans's line of retreat. And in case you didn't know, he didn't. They, they weren't uh, Rosecrans and others helped rebuild the line. Let's see what some people said that were there. Now I've been doing some research. So this is uh, this is from uh, this the 15th Wisconsin, which was known as the Scandinavian Regiment. They translated the book. And it says right there, Rosecrans himself took command of this position and held it as long as the battle lasted. And it was said that it was his personal courage and ability to which the army owed its salvation. This, I just did this today. This is from the Chicago Board of Trade Capital. To the left and front lay the key to the position. Not to hold the gap would be fatal. At this juncture, Major General Rosecrans dashed from left to right and discovered the Chicago Board of Trade Battery ready for the fray without positive directions. His orders were given to officers and men indiscriminately as the case demanded. He spurred back to near gap, returned partway, beckoned and shouted right this way. His own parade and command of a truck came into battery to the gap on the crest. And so So the general on the right one. So this was written afterwards. But the point is, people are remembering the presence of Rosecrans here. You often read that Rosecrans got nervous in battle and he stammered. I, I don't know if I see the the, the, the uh, uh, documentation. Another interesting thing about Rosecrans is that he really did care about his soldiers. I, I, I don't think I brought it, but I found a letter just the other day. It was written by uh, a fellow, and he said Rosecrans was the soldier's friend. The soldier's friend. So this is from that same thing about the Chicago Board of Trade Battery. After the Battle of Stone River, which is the real name, General Rosecrans commanded the Army of the Cumberland to issue a special order giving the battery the privilege of carrying the colors presented by the Chicago Board of Trade. This being the first time in the history of the Army where a battery of artillery was allowed to stand in the United States colors in a battery flag. By a subsequent special order, Stone River helped the Richard Morgan go back. Now, I don't know if that's true or not, but the point is that they thought it was true, that it was the first. I know that this happened, but that it was the first. Uh, I don't know. So, Rosecrans was a man that believed in rewarding and complimenting the people that fought. I was talking with you about the uh, blockade that was in reference to this. This is from a Confederate position of uh, uh, perspective. Events had made Murfreesboro, Murfreesboro Stone River, same battle, the hinge upon which the fortunes of the Confederacy must turn. That battle won by the Confederates, the paper blockade, we were talking about the blockade would be torn to tatters and the independence of the Confederacy assured. On that field, the genius of Rosecrans turned the paper blockade would have happened. On that field, the genius destroyed the Confederacy and established it. I don't have to believe that. But the point is, is that someone said that. The Confederate said that. He later became governor of Tennessee, lost his life in Stone River. Stone River, you know, a lot of people don't even know about it. I can never forget, whilst I remember anything, that about the end of last year, the beginning of this, you gave us a hard-earned victory, which had there been a defeat instead, the nation could scarcely live with. Now, if you ask somebody, who said this to whom about what battle, they probably wouldn't say, oh, that's easy, Abraham Lincoln, William S. Rosecrans, Stonesburg. They would never know. But let's go a little bit deeper on this. December 31st is the first day What is Lincoln going to do on January 1st? And of course, today we see that as one of the great things of the war. At the time it was seen as a, 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 a desperation. What type of December end we can have? Not just Fredericksburg, which everybody knows. How about Holly Springs, where Lincoln's uh, where Grant's supply depot was destroyed? 
Now we know because of Gideon Wells' diary that Lincoln had a dream the night of December 31st. You know, had that reoccurring dream. We know this because Gideon Wells puts it in his diary for April 14, 1865. There was a cabinet meeting, and Lincoln says, you know, I'm paraphrasing, of course, I had that dream that I had several times during the war. It usually uh, came before victory, it portended something important, usually a victory. And he thought, Lincoln thought, that this was going to be word that Sherman had put that was going to uh, capture Johnston. Well, we know, interestingly enough, it did portend something. Portended the death of In that cabinet meeting, he said that I had to dream before Christmas. So that's the point. That even on the last day of his life, his conscious life, he still remembered the importance of You'll also read that he did well. Rosecrans, in after this battle, was probably the leading Union general. Not a lot of people had churches, but had the Rosecrans victory march. It started a roll of honor, and he actually we would have the various regiments select people that were. Uh, merited distinction, and he actually wanted to mount them uh, on horses, mounted infantry, which he did create a different mounted infantry. He never got that far, but he was always concerned about his soldiers. Now, you'll often read that he did nothing for six months, and that's not the case. Among the things he did, he built Fortress Rosecrans, the Civil War's largest fort, fortress like no other, the largest earthen fort during his life. Okay. Expert in logistics and transportation, but where he was going, there's no river, there's not going to be any help from the Navy. He's on a rail line going deeper and deeper, not just into Confederate territory, but hillier and mountainous territory. And most of that still exists. A Fortress Rosecrans? Yeah. Well, there's a golf course there. Well, yeah, but I mean, the, the perimeter is still. Yeah, parts of it, yeah, yeah. And um, so, you know, Rosecrans was going in an area where no one in the world we went into. I mean, it's such a, a difficult terrain. People, if you haven't, this is what I would say, if you haven't been in that area, you really can't appreciate the, what, was, what the difficulties were everybody to come. I'll just mention one thing. He was very advanced in cartography, and they had a system where they went and took pictures of the landscape. They developed those pictures, and then they would update their maps. And if you look at, uh, oh, I don't know where I got this source from, but someone went to to Sherman when he took over the army and <clears throat> said to him, well, what about your maps? He said, maps? You know, maybe it's not maps, but where's your, your you know, your, your, your department that controls all your maps? Well, um, so he didn't do nothing for six months. Okay? And, and if you don't believe me, get Dave Powell come talk to you. <laughs> so then he does the Tullahoma campaign. And what he does here is he, he uses deception, threatening from one direction, but then attacking from another. But he also uses technology, specifically the Spencer repeating rifle. And this, of course, is the, the Lightning Brigade. John Wilder and goes to Rosecrans and says, you know, there's these new weapons. The War Department didn't seem to be particularly interested in this. So they work out something where they buy these rifles and then deduct the money from the soldiers pay for it. And the Battle of Hoover's Gap, which Interstate 24 runs through now, but there's a little shelter on the side you can go look at. It. That is said to be the first battle where we're holding the weapon. That's another view. Now, this uh, ended first week of July. 
Anything else going on during the Civil War during the first week of July? Well, I don't know if you've ever had Michael Bradley speak to you, but he's one of the few that have actually written on Telemont. Yet another thing that historians don't seem to be finished in. Here's his conclusion. Grant did achieve a victory which had important psychological and public relations uh, dimensions. And since the usual goal of the Grand strategy at the time was constructing the opposing army, Grant fulfilled that goal. But the Confederacy arguably could have survived the fall of Vicksburg and still won the war. It did survive for two more years. Meade won a defensive victory in Gettysburg. This boosted morale. Oh, it's misspelled too, I'm sorry. Especially for the Army of the Potomac, which had never known such a clear cut win. But defensive victories would not win the war. Lee won defensive victories almost every week during 1864 and still wound up in Appomattox. If the Atlanta campaign of 1864 had begun in the vicinity of Murfreesboro, would Atlanta have been taken before the November election? Would Lincoln have received a second term? That's a really good question. Because it's hard to get to Chattanooga, as we're going to see in a minute. It took him a long time from May to what the end of August just to go from Chattanooga to Atlanta. What happens if you had to get to Chattanooga first? Edwin Stanton. He set this quote. We have just received official information that Vicksburg surrendered to General Grant on the 4th of July. Lee's army overthrown, Grant victorious. You and your noble army have won, have the chance to give the finishing blow to the rebellion. You neglect the chance. Rosecrans uh, was a person with strong opinions. We could say someone that didn't suffer fools gladly, easily, and right there in the center. I beg in behalf of this army that the War Department may not overlook so great an event, the clearing of the Rebels from Middle Tennessee, because it is not written in letters of blood. I mean, this is the irony of being famous. Had there been a battle of Tullahoma with 20,000 casualties in a Met Park Service place, people would say, oh yeah, he won the battle of Tullahoma too, didn't he? But there wasn't this campaign. Now, you do eventually have to get that army, and where does Bragg end up? He ends up in Chattanooga. Okay, some aside here. Each one of these people is worth a talk of their own. James Garfield. Now, James Garfield is an interesting fellow. He was Grant's, uh, he was Rosecrans's chief of staff. He had been elected to Congress, but in those days you could be elected months before you took your seat. And that's what happened. And he goes down and he probably wants to be involved in a battle so that will look good on his resume when he's running for office. And he and Rosecrans hit it off. And one reason they hit it off is that they had a shared interest in theology. Theology, right? Because Rosecrans was a Catholic convert, and so he had studied religion. And Garfield was a lay minister in the Disciples of Christ, the Christian Church. So he was, you know, he knew more about the history of religion and theology than the other person, the average person. Well, Rosecrans loved this. And they would sit and talk about this. Garfield did a couple of things. One thing he did was he sent a letter to Sam Chase, the Secretary of the Treasury, where he laments that Rosecrans is not moving really fast enough. Well, you're not supposed to do that, much less discussing whether he was right. So later we're going to see a quote from Garfield. Keep in mind that Garfield always knew in the back of his mind that there was a letter out there that he never knew what's going to what also happened in 1863 is that Horace Greeley sent an emissary to Rosecrans to sound him out about running for president. And he said absolutely not. So keep that in mind too. It's 
So a lot happened in the summer. That's uh, Chattanooga, in case you have So what could the Union Army do? Well, it could go approach Chattanooga from the north, thus moving away from its supply line, the railroad, that's kind of stupid. It could follow the Tennessee River right through all those mountains and have another Thermopylae, for those of you that know your Greek history. That's kind of stupid. <laughs> so what can you do? Well, what he did do, and here you can see the, the maneuverings. And if you go to Chickamauga, you can't just go to the valley. You've got to go to where the river is and look at the river crossings in Stevenson, Alabama, and Bridgeport. You've got to look at the whole big picture. And, and you have to go down to Chickamauga, Georgia, Crawfish Springs, and, and see how they ended up at the battle. What Rosecrans did was he sent Crittenden's Corps to the north to make Bragg think that that's where the main thrust was coming. And then he sent two other corps, Thomas and McCook, across uh, Lookout Mountain to caps there. Now this is important because it's often said that Rosecrans, after being cautious for so long, then threw caution to the wind and wide, wildly and widely divided his army. But he had to divide his army. Now there's a lot of misinformation and bad stuff here. You know, they didn't know and until a few days before the battle that Bragg was being reinforced. The War Department didn't even know, even though was, there was information on that on the front page of the New York Herald. Uh, <laughs> no, it's really, it's unbelievable. So now what becomes the quest when all of us, not the quest when it comes to the, the issue, is will the Union Army, will Rosecrans be able to unite his army and defend Chattanooga? before the Confederates, who are now larger than he is, can cut him off. Everybody understand that? Right? Here's Chattanooga. This is the area near the battlefield. Can he get all these people together before Bragg can outflank him? Now, I'm not going to talk a lot about the Battle of Chickamauga, because I think that's a whole talk in itself. We'll talk about it in a minute. But I will say this. I think the most famous parts of Chickamauga, a lot of them really are on very shaky uh, documentation grounds. For example, the dressing down of General Wood by Rosecrans. There's really only one source for that. That's Henry's sister's uh, book, The Army of Cumberland. Uh, Rosecrans actually kind of promoted that later after the war, but there's not really a whole lot of evidence about that. Uh, certainly nothing dramatic, someone hold, Wood holding up the, the, the order and saying, I hold in my hand the fatal order. Well, let me do You're going to risk everybody's life out of spite. Don't know about that. A big thing is, did he flee the battlefield and panic? No, that's a good one. Well, what's the sourcing? A lot of sources come from Charlie Down, a lot of the negative sourcing about the war coming from Charlie Down. Are you familiar with him? Assistant Secretary of War, but generally considered to be a spy for the War Department. He'd been down and spy on Grant, and now he's spying on those grants. What actually did happen was after the right fell apart, right? Let's say that's the door to Chattanooga. Thomas is over here. And remember, Thomas is usually in the center, but, but Rosecrans had moved Thomas, who he considered his best corps commander, to the left to guard the road. And what does Thomas say on the night of the 19th? I'd strengthen the left. I'd strengthen the left. And he said, what would you do? So we're going to take him from the right and put him on the left. 
But what's going to happen to the right? It's going to be weakened. How about the famous gap? Well, that played a role, but a lot of a big role. But a lot of new research says that the right, the union right, would have been flanked anyhow. They just ran out of it. Rosecrans and and Garfield meet up, and there's two versions about what happened. Rosecrans's version is that he said to Garfield, "Why don't you go to Chattanooga and do all these things, and I'll go see what's happening with Thomas here." And Garfield said, oh, I can't do that. Why don't you do that now? And the other version is that Rosecrans said, I think it's lost. I'm going to go to Chattanooga. And Garfield said, this is Garfield's version. Well, I think there may still be hope. I'm going to go see Thomas. So those are the two versions. But nobody says that he fled the battlefield in pack. So who's in command there? Yeah. Who's in command? I mean, wouldn't you think that, he, that, that Rosecrans would give him an order to do one or the other? Well, what would happen? That's a good question that, that maybe we should save to the end. But let me ask you this. What was the Battle of Chickamauga fought for ultimately? Was it fought for that creek or was it fought for the city of Chattanooga? And this is an important thing. There's a misconception that the Union Army had Chattanooga and then marched out. They never did. Crittenden passed through, left behind some men, and then went to pursue uh, uh, Brad. So they didn't—they didn't really have much in the way of, uh, of, of presence in Chattanooga. So Chattanooga is the prize, according to this school of thought, and that's more important than the creek. Okay. So I guess Rosecrans said he really felt his army was destroyed. And remember, he's now hearing that Longstreet's there. He's hearing that parole prisoners from Vicksburg are there. He has no idea that the whole Confederate army is not there. At least not. What do you do? You have to assume the worst case scenario. I think that's what he would say. But he probably, in retrospect, probably wished he'd gone to the front. But, uh, but what is more important? To be killed there on Snodgrass Hill or to make sure that you're starting? Remember, the army, the right wing had, had broken. They were streaming back anyhow. So should you try to put, put some uh, order into that? But let's look at some quotes here. This is from uh, uh, the bottom part. This was a letter that was in the Milwaukee, in Milwaukee paper in November of 1863. The allegation abroad in some circles that Rosecrans had actually abandoned his army that Sunday at Chickamauga vexed many soldiers. Quote, reports in the papers about Rosecrans's pure lies stressed a Republican officer whose letter was published in the Milwaukee paper. He wrote that he had seen the general when, uh, when the 24th Wisconsin fell back. Rosecrans was riding around trying to rally our men and the bullets were flying around them like hail. As the Milwaukee officer passed, Rosecrans waved his hat, shouting above the din, Halt, boys, rally and make one charge for me. If any man told the writer Rosie had quit the field, quote, I would whip him if he did not weigh over 300. <laughs> Confound their lying faces. They ought to be shot. Okay. This is from the Norwegian regiment. General Rosecrans, this is after Chickamauga. This is, uh, I think, 22nd and 23rd, when, you know, of course, he's supposed to be despondent and broken. So General Rosecrans rode along the line almost every evening and always had a friendly word for everyone. When he approached you, it both loud ringing cheers that resounded toward Lookout Mountain and other places occupied by the rebels. But how about Charles A. Down? This is what he sent in his second telegram to Washington on the second day of Chickamauga. I am happy to report that my dispatch at 4 p.m. today proves to have given too dark a view of our disaster. That's what it says Chickamauga's 
bad a name in our history as a bull run. Having then myself swept bodily off the battlefield by the panic-struck rabble into which the divisions of Davis and Sheridan were temporarily converted, my own impressions were naturally colored by the aspect of that part of the field. It appears, however, that only those two divisions were actually routed, that Thomas, with the remainder of the army, still holds his part of the strength uh, by the addition of that portion of the reserve lately stationed at Crossville under Granger. Granger's actually one of the heroes of the but here's the I think Gannett concluded some gentlemen of Rosecrans' staff said Chickamauga was not very much worse than was Murphy's brother. I can testify to the conspicuous and steady gallantry of Rosecrans on the field. He made all possible efforts to rally the broken columns, nor do I see that there was any fault in the disposition of his forces. Now you have to be careful with Charles because he's not a good witness. I'm sorry, okay. But I would say if it was ever going to be honest, it was going to be on the night of the battle with truth is paramount. Now the tone of his dispatch begins to change after this. And a quote you may have heard, you know, Lincoln said Rosecrans is stunned like a duck hit on the head. Well, how would Lincoln know? I mean, Lincoln didn't know this Rosecrans. He would know only from these dispatches coming from people like that. Now, in the 1880s, when this was all beginning to come out, would later write Rosecrans and say, um, you probably find some of the things that I was misinformed in some of the things I wrote were making even unfair. Okay. Was he stunned like a duck hit on the head? Well, how about the opening of the cracker? Who did that? Nobody says Grant anymore. But a lot of people, most people say General W.F. Baldy Smith. Most Grants died in 1898. Smith outlived him. So Smith kept pressing this. And he went to the War Department. And the War Department looked into it. And they after diligent search of the official records, the board failed to find any evidence, any, that General W.S. Smith was the originator of the plan for the of Chattanooga. On the contrary, there is abundant evidence in the official records to show that the plan which contemplated crossing to the Tennessee River at Bridgeport, the northern end of Lookout Valley, which was successfully executed by General Thomas, was devised and prepared for by General Rosecrans before I mean, this is incredible, you know? I mean, who knows this? I'm going to spare you the one from uh, LeDuc, who was the guy that piloted the first ship. And he looks at, uh, I think it's Richard Johnson's memoirs, and Richard Johnson sent it to him, and he, he writes back to Richard Johnson and said, you praise me too much, you need to give more praise to Rosecrans in here. Who does that? It's in the book. So if he wasn't stunned like the duck hit on the head and he was getting ready to open the cracker line, why was he removed? Well, that's a good, that's a good question. A quote that Bobby Ladoff, uh, that Lincoln said, wrote, was, I must do something for General Rosecrans. And what does he do? He sends him to Missouri. Okay. <laughs> that was a real mess. And, you know, I'm not really an expert expert on this, but uh, I think he did pretty it was a tough situation. He had to have militia. But this is what you know, Stephen Z. Starr wrote many years ago. Except for the operations long past the end of the war of guerrillas, gangs, or individuals professing to be laboring for the Confederacy, the Civil War west of the Mississippi came effectively to an end when Price crossed the Arkansas River on November 7, 1861. Now, Rosecrans thought this was going to get him back in good graces in Washington. In fact, he was relieved for the fourth and final time after 
He retires from the Army in 1867. And John Russell Young, editor of the New York Tribune, he writes to Garfield and he says, I see that Rosecrans's resignation has been accepted at last and that he's to go out of the Army. I wish you would sit down before you leave Washington and give me a memorandum of his military career. How he was removed four times, each time at the end of a victory. Now, this isn't interesting. This Chattanooga, Chickamauga, this is a victory. Am I saying that? No, a man that lived that. He said. <clears throat> See, that goes to that whole thing. What was the objective of the Chickamauga campaign? You know? And if you ever get, you know, uh, uh, Dave, what's the last name? <laughs> yeah, down here, you know, I asked him online, I've never met him personally. Wasn't there going to be a battle for Ch Chattanooga? Was Longstreet sent to Tennessee to engage in a, in a, in a siege through the fall and winter? Absolutely not. He was sent there to fight a battle, don't you think so? And assuming that no army is going to destroy another army, what are you going to have? You're going to have two wounded armies and one that's going to have Chattanooga. Well, in a sense, that's kind of what you have. Hello. But Garfield wrote that. Yours of yesterday came to hand this morning, and I have made a few notes of dates and events in the career of General Rosecrans, which may aid you. I am glad it is in your heart to notice his exit from the Army in a way that will recognize the service he rendered to the nation when it needed friends. For nearly a year, my relations with him were so intimate we scarcely had a separate thought on any question affecting the contest. If the president makers had let him alone, he might have been at the head of our armies today. But in the fatal summer of 1863, it was enveloped in clouds of incense and visions of the presidency were constantly thrust before. I think it was really just that one time. I think that this made him a little overcautious and increased the delay at the beginning of the campaign in Middle Tennessee. Now, see, he's covering himself because he knows that he's written letters saying that. So getting back to Middle Tennessee campaign, which though brilliant and successful, came so late as to be somewhat obscured by the achievement of Grant's army in Vicksburg and the army of the Potomac Gettysburg. Well, today it's unknown. You know, he could say in the 1860s, well, it's somewhat obscure. Today we can say it's almost totally eclipsed, right? I think also that the political leaders became alarmed at his increasing fame and were not unwilling to see evil befall. Certain it is that the War Department seemed very ready to find fault with him from that time forward. I have never before put these thoughts on paper rarely spoken them to my dearest friends. The events are too recent to make it prudent. Time may come when they will. That's pretty tough stuff. But I think the question about Sherman is, why was it Rosecrans reinforced before the battle? What was Sherman doing in August of 1863? We can't even say, what was Grant doing? Let's just stay with Sherman. Why, why wasn't it reinforced? A lot of people ask that question. You know this fellow? This is maybe the most important unknown person in the Civil War. <laughs> because it seems to me without him, none of us would know he was successful. He was from Galena, Illinois. I probably have to wear a mask when I go in there or something. And uh, of course, the Grant's living for a long time. Dear sir, on looking about among the politicians here, guess where here is? Dear old Chicago, <laughs> I find that there is more activity here than elsewhere in reference to prospective politics. 
Honorable E.B. Washburn is making a business already of committing men to grant for the presidency. He is wealthy, shrewd, and earnest, and determined that Grant shall be the man. I hear good men say good, but nominating convention is stronger than Lincoln. They are trying to get Grant and command the Rosecrans's army, and his own too, perhaps additional reinforcements. Send him across to the Atlantic and eastward on Richmond, hoping thereby to make an irresistible nominating convention. If the administration see the joke, they will see to it that he does not get an opportunity. But if Grant and his Western friends can do this thing, they will. Now you're scoffing, but this is what J.K. Irving, it's his italics. I am not disappointed. They are bending every energy for the enterprise. He wrote this to Butler. Benjamin Butler looks like kind of comic character to us today, but people don't understand how much how much appeal he had to the radicals because of um, you know among other things the uh, the contraband war issue for Monroe, which you're going to, but in two years, right? So you'll learn all about that. Um, I was telling Robert here, I know nothing about J.K. Herbert except that he actually existed. He got involved in Cox speculation. There's actually a Supreme Court case with his name, but I found no death records for him. <coughs> if you ever find J.K. Herbert, real name Jasper J., you let me know, okay? Well, what can we say about this? I mean, this was written August <coughs> Henry Van S. Point, soldier, Medal of Honor recipient, journalist, historian, first superintendent of Chicago Valley Park. Uh, no pardon. And staunch defender of Rosecrans Thomas. Thomas is another And the Army of the Company. Okay, now this is the one. We're not going to read the whole thing. Some of you grant people might say, I don't know. Okay. So we'll just. Don Piat. Didn't even know Don Piat. P I A T T. He was a soldier for a while. He was a journalist. After his new biography about uh, 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 Gilded Age Gadfly, which is a terrible time. Because he wasn't a Catholic, he was a serious person. He was known as a man who took on the lobbies. There actually were lobbies in the 19th century. So, in his biography of Thomas, is this. And we're not going to read all the terrible stuff. Of all the generals who achieved notoriety during the Civil War, he granted the one whose career as a soldier will bear the least screen. It is strange, dropping down, that so unsuccessful a general should be able to retain the confidence of the world Washington, in Washington. That all that must have been known of his blunders, and there's that word people don't like to hear happens. There is a solution to this mystery found in the name of the Bellevue Benjamin Washburn. So this is a man who was there. <laughs> saying, oh yeah, it's Washburn. That's all too terrible. <laughs> so Rosecrans, what does he do after? Well, he's, he's ambassador to Mexico. It's called Minister of Mexico. <laughs> and uh, for a while, until Ulysses S. Grant becomes president. And then that's the end of that. Now, when I speak to Southern groups, I highlight this picture. This is uh, Rosecrans there with uh, Robert E. Lee. And this uh, is in the Virginia room of the Greenbrier Resort in White Sulphur Springs, West Virginia. And what this depicts, and this is a 20th century man, is Rosecrans seeking out the Confederate leaders who met there in the summer to escape the heat. And he said, You sign this. Manifesto saying that the leaders of the South accept the outcome of the war and the abolition of slavery because the opposing party is going to say that if you vote for the Democratic Party, which was largely a Southern based party at the time, they will try to undo the things of the war. And so he signed it. Um, so that's what this represents. 
he, what else did he do? He uh, tried to make his fortune in mining. He was actually away from his family. I was kind of sad to read those letters. Uh, you know, I think that he just did wait. Let's say that he believed at least as much as I did about it, right? And he says, nobody, I can't believe this is happening. I think that would impress him. And he uh, never struck it rich. He was registrar of the, of the uh, Treasury for a while, but he had to wait for a Democratic administration. For, that doesn't happen here, right, when you change administrations. No, no, no. See, that's really no. So he was that for a while. And then he got elected two terms of Congress from California, the first congressional district, because uh, he settled in California. And he lived until 1899. This is a statue of General Thomas in Washington, Thomas Circle. And that church is a 20th century successor to the church that Garfield went to. There's actually a stained glass window of Garfield in that church. Any presidential uh, trivia people? Who was the other disciples of Christ president? Lyndon Johnson. There he is. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> so they've got, they've got stained glass windows of both. I was a lad once in Lyndon Johnson at the height of his difficulties was walking down the steps. And a handful of people saw him and they kind of just applauded him. That's in the days when you always applaud the president when you The idea that a president could walk down the steps with a minimal security is just tells you what different age was. So, how did I stumble upon this? Well, I we went to Mount Olivet Cemetery, which is an old cemetery in Washington. I was looking for Mary Surratt's grave. But I'd seen it before. There was a bronze plaque on the back of it that someone put on there. Basically, blaming Edmund Stanton for all of her problems. I couldn't find it. And I was with my friend, and uh, we stumbled upon this. And I said, oh, Why did the general? It says, Analyze the Rosecrans, why did the general play against Rosecrans? I said, You know, he went to the very good general. And then I said, I wonder where he's buried. And he was buried in Arlington Cemetery. And this is back in the pre internet days. There used to not be the internet. <laughs> So you had to hope that there was a book. Remember books, how great they were? <laughs> you had to hope there were books printed on something. So there was a book on Arlington Cemetery. And in that book it said, except for a strange quirk of fate, William S. Rosecrans would have been the 17th president of the United States. And it said that Abraham Lincoln offered him the vice presidency in 1864. He accepted it, but Edwin Stanton intercepted it, and all the telegrams didn't go from Stanton's office. And um, so I didn't get the time. I said, well, this is unbelievable, especially considering you know, the religious background. I said, well, maybe the National Enquirer would be interested in this story. <laughs> well, how can we find out more about these people? Well, a man named William Lammers, as they say in Wisconsin, wrote a book called The Edge of Glory. And it came out in 1961. He was superintendent of Milwaukee Public Schools in the 50s, probably Milwaukee Public Schools, one of the finest in the country. And it came out, got good reviews, and was forgotten. Okay? But without that book, little old me wouldn't have known where to go. So I have a great debt to It was out of print for a while, but it has been reissued. And there he is, buried in Arlington. He died in Los Angeles in 1898, and then was reburied in Arlington in 1903. All it says is Major General William Stark Rosecrans, and on the other side just says Rosecrans. If you stumbled upon that, you wouldn't know anything about it. So, what have other people 
that have looked at this. Well, here's Boynton's book. Uh, he wrote many articles as well. This is Sherman's historical raid, the memoirs, and the light of the record. Uh, the man who should have been speaking to you here is Albert Castell. We'll talk about him in a moment. And he wrote a book, of course, many years ago called uh, Decision of the West Valley. And uh, he also has a book about essays on the Civil War. What is that? Winning and losing the Civil War. And one of the essays is prevaricating for Georgia. <laughs> okay. There's Lammers' book. I understand Frank Farney has or has this book? Yes. Yes. So, you know, Frank Farney, I mean, General Grant, are we writing the history? Basically, his thesis is that people just accept the memoirs. You know, they just, and when we say people, we mean scholars, you know, academics. They just accept the memoirs. It's probably true. This was a cover story of Civil War Times magazine. I didn't say that. <laughs> that is actually an essay by Evan Jones that comes from a chapter in this book. More and more people are. Looking and saying, oh, yeah, it was the Western thing. You know, Illinois is really a Western state. You know that by 19th century standards. They're saying, Chattanooga is important, and the Western theater is important. So he has an essay, does um, Evan Jones, on the Rosecrans Grant split that started northeastern Mississippi. And guess who he thinks was right? <coughs> Dave Powell has an essay in that about the six months of inactivity. How Rosecrans pulled this great, uh, this new arm. Looking for something to do? Got 800 pages? <laughs> I need you help with this, right? Or a little bit. Little bit. So Joseph Rose, an amateur, got interested in grants, got it immediately. He, he sent it to a number of people, including yourself and Gordon Gray, and they said, well, there's some interesting stuff in here. So I think it's interesting a lot of amateur historians are like saying, wow, this isn't good. <laughs> Victors in Blue, Albert Castell's last book. Albert Castell, as I said, is the man that should be your speaker. But as happens with all this, the clock right now. Life is like football for baseball. You can't play 120 innings if you keep talking, right? Eventually the guns. In one of his last chapters, he says, I shall say no more. That to state the wish and deed the desire that some other historian other than himself, one young, talented, and courageous, would produce a biography of Rosecrans. Now, why do you have to say courageous? We're not living in the Soviet You know, because perhaps it upsets our whole understanding. Now, what makes this doubly interesting is that the man that helped him finish the book is the leading grand scholar, James <coughs> Simpson. And I sent an email to Brooks Simpson, and you know, a little humble me, a little unpredictable me. And I said, you know, no one's better positioned than you to be that person. He said, well, it's really not this book. Said, and you know, he has every right to do that. But I'm just wondering, he said, you know, I don't want to start with the grand postcards. I don't. If he were here, he'd say that, stop that speculation. Rosecrans had no statue anywhere. He, in Cleveland, if you go to Cleveland, one of the things you see in downtown Cleveland is the Soldiers and Sailors Monument. Been in there. 
Yeah. And go inside the gut. All with all the officers, bottle these sculptures. And there's old Rosecrans in the corner with his beard. But that was it. And then some citizens in his own count township, some very raised money, something out of it. You know, one of those great old uplifting movies that raised the money and he dedicated this in September 2013. So the next time that you're in Columbus, you have a reason to go to Sunbury. Uh, we did talk about Julius T. Garchet. That's another interesting story. Uh, he was killed the first day of Stones River. This is his grave at Mount Olive. I'm happy to say this isn't vandalism. This is a result of something called the derecho storm that hit the East Coast in 2012. I think it started here in the Midwest. It came across very bizarre. It came out of nowhere. High wind and then the top of it. I asked the cemetery people to say, well, you know, next weekend I have to do something. That's kind of sad. She is married, so I went back. I go, I make point going to the cemetery, which is way off the path several times. I said, You know, I went to the office and said, You know, I was here one time and there was a plaque on the back of her grave. And they said, Oh, yes, that was unauthorized by the family and they wanted to remove it. So then I went to the Surratt uh, boarding, and not boarding house, but Surratt Tower, not the one downtown Washington, but the one in Clinton, Maryland. I said, you know, I was at the cemetery and they told me this and about the plaque. I said, oh, yeah, we're the ones that did it. So we're the last case over there. So um, that's the, the Surratt family doesn't, they don't try to, they don't make a case. You either know who she is or you don't. You either think she should have been executed. And that is the end of the story. <laughs> You know, when I, one of my first talks, a gentleman older than myself came up to me and, and he said, he said, you know, there's been a tendency to tear down our heroes. And I knew where he was coming from. And I don't totally disagree with him. But I said, you know, Rosecrans is a hero too. And the people that fought on it. So I'm not for taking down anybody's statue. Not even taking them off a $50 bill. You know? uh, we have a new star in the front. And the irony is, if we were in Alabama or someplace, and I gave a talk on Braxton Bragg, and I said, you know, Braxton Bragg doesn't have a statue. Six of you would jump and say, we're going to do something about that. Old Braxton fought for us. We're going to get it done. You don't know how many people in these chat rooms, a good thing to stay out of, by the way, <laughs> <laughs> uh, are just adamant against commemorating Rosecrans. Why? Why would you be against someone the men that fought under? I don't get that. Okay, any questions? What's that? Why? Why? Such a bad rap? Oh, well, oh, I think he got. A, why does he have a bad rap today? Because of bad history. Yeah. None of it being true. Well, you, well, meaning what? That he fled the battle of Canada? Did he do that? Politics, I'd say. I'd say politics. Okay, well, we can go through. He's replaced by John C. Fremont. We can say that's politics. He asked to be removed from underground because he fought two battles underground in northeastern Mississippi. Grant's not there. That would make you say, you know, I, I think we need to have that real In fact, we need to go different places. Now, Chickamauga is the one that you can say, well, you know, we lost the battle. Okay. But at the time, Chickamauga was seen as the campaign was successful. You'd be very surprised if you went and read these things. I think what people need to do is they need to get away from the standard histories and go a little bit deeper. Read these books that I mentioned, Generals uh, Victors in Blue. 
Okay? Read uh, read those things. And then Missouri. Well, then, you know, Grant wants to get rid of people. So I think it's politics, to be honest with you. Yes? So was it just, you know, Republicans trying to protect their own? In many ways, not, yes. not wanting to promote the career of anybody who's a Democrat? I think there's depth. And if, has anybody delved into the uh, Evan Stanton biography that's come out, you know, Lincoln's autocrat? <coughs> that's something you got to do five to ten pages at a time. It's really deep. He basically makes that point, you know. And everybody knows that McClellan had uh, political problems. If you look at Gideon Wells' diary, you know, he, he says that they brought Pope, John Pope, here to Washington to promote him over McClellan. Now, let's put a good spin on this. You could say they were right, or at least you can understand them. You're going to seven seven days, right? Next week, next week, you know, Well, you know, Gary Gallagher at the University of Virginia thinks that's the turning point of the Civil War. Because he said and that enabled the war to be long enough for Lincoln to issue an Emancipation Proclamation. Let's say that McClellan had taken Richmond in 1862. Not impossible, you could say not likely, but not impossible. If he'd been given a gigantic army, he may have been able. Well, what would have happened? Who would have been the next president of the United States? You know, people wouldn't know who Abraham Lincoln is today. Because there would be no Gettysburg Address. There'd be no Second Inaugural Address. There'd be no Emancipation Proclamation. He'd be the answer to a trivia question. Who was the only Republican president? You know, Because the Republican Party would have gone out of business. It would have been an opposing party to the Democrats. Who knows what they're calling so The neo-Whigs or something. So you can say they were justified in, they could justify themselves, this is the war for emancipation, we need to remake the unit. McLaren in many ways is a victim too. By uh, mid-1863 or late 1863, didn't Lincoln and Stanton and some of the other leaders kind of develop the perception that our generals were winning territory, losing territory, winning territory, and it wasn't get any anywhere. That what they had to do was actually defeat Confederate armies, and the feeling was that the glorious campaign in Tennessee didn't particularly but, do well, that. And while Grant was not only <coughs> taking Vicksburg, but actually capturing an army, and while Meade was not only winning a battle, but defeating an army, that that wasn't happening in, in Tennessee. Well, that's a standard thing. I would just say this. You know, after Vicksburg, you saw the quote by Michael Bradley. Well, what was really accomplished? Right? What happened to most of those prisoners? They were paroled, right? What did Grant do after Vicksburg? Anybody know? He went to He fell off the horse. He fell off the horse, among other things. He went down to New Orleans, and you know, I, I don't like to bring up the drinking thing, because that really gets Grant Parsons angry. But it's there, it's there, you can look for it. Uh, Nathaniel Banks and, and some others reported that he was drinking. But that's beside the point. Why, why? Now, Grant's not running the show, but why don't they do something with Grant? Why don't they do something with Sherman? What, what are, they, are they fighting an army? What is, what is Sherman doing in August of 1863 that's leading? He's doing that little Meridian campaign for a while, but then what? Why didn't they send in Rosecrans? Good question. You know? You could say that the Battle of Chickamauga was the battle for Chattanooga. That's the spin that Rosecrans and Boynton would have said. They said that was the battle. But when, aside from Nashville, was any Nashville, was any army ever destroyed by another army? Doesn't the army at least survive to fight another day? Vicksburg. So, well, yeah. But but then what was the consequence? 
opening up the Mississippi, cutting off the Trans-Mississippi. But there still was fighting across the Mississippi yeah. during the war, right? I mean, and those, a lot of them got enrolled. But we, we can talk, let's, yeah, yeah. Oh, I two totally unrelated questions. Oh, okay. Number one, uh, roast beans and always get. Yes. Did you find anything in any of your research that is religion heard it. had anything to do with it? You heard it. Uh -huh. Number two, we were talking at the table here. Nobody else will ask it, so I'll ask uh -huh. it. Uh, we were wondering if Rosecrans wrote up in Northern Illinois named for Rosecrans. Yes. Yeah. Okay, first, the what surprising thing to me with the turn of the war is religion didn't seem to hurt. It did later in his political career in that, you know, his brother was, was a bishop of Columbus, Ohio, and is buried in, in the cathedral there. And there's some letters back and forth. Rosecrans was known as the Great Decliner because he was offered the nomination of governor of Ohio, I think governor of California, he could have had any number of positions. And his brother writes him and said, you know, Rosecrans was, uh, was, he wasn't really a political guy. And politics was as rough in the 19th century as it is today. Uh, I, the surprise not during the war, I think it's because, you know, Horace Greeley was the guy that sought him out. And, and some of them thought, well, this may well help us with the Irish troops, you know, a lot of Irish troops are from Germany. When I first got into this, I looked up every place Rosecrans, and there's probably not 10 places in America named Rosecrans. In California, has a lot. We have Fort Rosecrans, Rosecrans Boulevard, and Rosecrans Street in San Diego. There's a Rosecrans census-designated place up there right, right near the Wisconsin border. And I looked it up just before coming down in hopes that there was more on it. But I don't, they don't have a mayor, they don't have anything. It's just a place. But it is named for it. Yeah. Yes. But just one last yeah. comment on the you know, Grant versus Fort yeah. case. I mean, there's no question that for Lincoln, at least, uh -huh. uh, the Mississippi opening up the Mississippi was part of Grant's strategy. And for better or worse, Grant was the hero. He did achieve that. Uh -huh. I think we all do understand these days that the you know uh, developing industries of the mountainous areas, Alabama, Georgia, et cetera, North Georgia, those were extremely important ultimately in winning the war. But for Lincoln, the bottom well, was. Well, so we can't, we, we, we can't we really have, take it away from Lincoln. We have to be careful. You know, Lincoln quotes are not as well switched as you think. And I was corrected in a chat room, but I could so. You know, there's no evidence, and I, we have Lincoln people here. The sourcing for you can fool all the people some of the time and some of the people all the time. There's no sourcing for that. Can you believe that? There's no sourcing for that. Lincoln's. But again, the Mississippi was a major strategic. But, but, but what I'm saying is I'd have, we have to sit down and you'd have to show me the citations where he's saying that. Yeah, well, I don't care about the quotes, I just care about the strategy. Well, except, let's go back to what Michael Bradley said. If the Atlanta campaign had begun on the other side of Chattanooga, would Atlanta have been taken? And almost everybody believes that the fall of Atlanta was the end of the Confederacy. Caskett, do you, do you accept that? Uh, I think holding on to Chattanooga, I agree with you, I think holding on to Chattanooga was really it. Okay. Because that was it for the industries that were being supported. But, but, also, but also the route to Atlanta. <laughs> because Atlanta determined that Lincoln wasn't going to be defeated for re-election, and that was it. Oh, yeah. But if they've got to get, let's say that Rosecrans had never left Murfreesboro, but they have to still get the Chattanooga. So this is something that we would have to really sit down and look at the Lincoln things. I, I will tell you this. One of the things that surprised me doing this research is, and you know, this is the land of Lincoln, but Washington, D.C. is also kind of the land of Lincoln, too. As a boy growing up, and there was Lincoln, Peterson House where he died, but downtown, around there was a real downtown, a 
and not a place for souvenir shops for school groups and stuff like that. Although it's changing. You know, you could go shopping and here was this no lines, no tickets to get in where Lincoln died. It was like, you know, a religious site. But Lincoln really wasn't the man sitting in the chair in 1864. I mean, not even that. And as late as 1864, people within his party are talking about should there be someone else? And so I think if you read my book online or library or wherever, read the Washburn chapter. That's very important. Because they were really jockeying to see who would be the nominee in 1864. And you may know that offering Grant the lieutenant generalcy was kind of an understanding that he would not run for president. John Russell Jones is sought out, you know, he said in the links, oh no, he doesn't want to be. I will also say this in defense of Grant. I think much of this was not sought by Grant. It was Washburn's doing. And I think up until 1864, all Grant wanted to do was to have a good war, so he wouldn't have to go back to the Tanner's business. You know, he didn't have this ambition. But then, as you get closer to it, and then of course the 18, you know, 68, uh, that's a very surprising thing. Is that you know Lincoln isn't the strong man that we need. He's a good man, he's a wise man, but he's standing in many ways more powerful. Questions? Yes. A few answers ago, you used the term running the show. Am I correct that your fundamental thesis is Stanton and the radical Republican clique were running the show, including the War Department? Um, okay, let me say, yeah, kind of, but don't put it in the papers, okay? This is what I would say, and you kind of brought this up. The big question is, was who's going to emerge as the hero of the war and be the next president of the United States, right? Because whoever was going to be the hero of the war was going to be president. The president was Andrew Jackson and Zachary Taylor, much less George Washington. And George Washington, yes. Well, it could have been anybody. Could have been anybody. You know, Lincoln was not going to run for a third term. There's no doubt about that, right? No one in the room thinks that Abraham Lincoln, had he lived, would have run in 1868. That was for So it's an open thing. So all these politicians made connections. So Simon P. Chase, he actually was a benefactor of Rosecrans to a degree. Benjamin Butler. Uh, so you would want to ask the question. I think, why was the Civil War fought? Was it to see who had the stronger army, who had the better strategy? It was fought for political reasons, is that safe to say? It redid the nation, is that safe to say? And, you know, it changed, not just for emancipation, but there was a new party that actually would, you know, become the majority party up until the 19, you know, for many, many years. Before that, what the Democrats had run everything, dating back to at least Andrew Jackson. So I think that played a big role. I would say go to Evan, that new book on Evan Stanton, and that will, that will be a real life. This, this is kind of backtracking a little bit. That's fine. I, I love the questions. In the Battle of Chickamauga, if they were concerned about the left and, and being cut off from Chattanooga, mm -hmm. and they knew that they were you know, being pressed on the other side, why didn't they overnight on the 19th move the rest of the army up to Snodgrass Hill in a well, more defensible position? Well, they had had a draw on the 19th, right? I mean, they had repulsed everybody. Again, you're going to have to get Chickamauga first. You know, take this. But let's, off the top of my head, you know, it was a two-day battle. At the end of the first day, you still maintaining your line on the creek, correct? So are you going to abandon the field? No. But that's what Thomas said that night. And he, they did move a lot of people to the left. 
What, are you going to completely give up the right? Well, then maybe they're going to go all the way behind you. I would say they ran out of meth, but you probably need to get Glenn Roberts up there. Yes? Does Rosicrans even... That's, that's how actually pronounced the name, yeah. Does he actually hold Chattanooga after the battle if General Thomas doesn't uh, hold in Chickamauga? Yeah, well, that's a great question. So let's say... Okay, let's look at this. That's a really good question. If the, I mean, the, you, we talk about Rosecrans is uh, rallying the troops, and the troops all love him, but he's saying, stand there and fight for me, and they're all saying, right. see ya, and running. Is he going to be able to hold if it wasn't for Thomas holding off the Confederates and then making a, a proper so maybe fallback? the right decision was to go to Chattanooga. What do you think about that? Yes. Maybe the right decision was to go to Chattanooga and start the defenses. Which is what he did. There, there's no way they could have done it. They, I mean, these irons are beat up after that. See, see, look, I, 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 I'm, I'm just going to keep invoking Dave Powell because he's, you know, he's, I don't know him personally, but I even disagree with him, but I communicate a little bit. I said, really, what would have been an alternative? Let's say that after the third day, the Confederates go back across, uh, you know, back towards the other, is the Union Army going to pursue them? Remember, they haven't really been in Chattanooga. What do they do? They're going to go into Chattanooga. They're going, what they're going to have, they're going to have their wounded, they're going to have their dead, and they're going to have the creek. But guess what? They're going to give that up, probably, because that's on the other side of Missionary Ridge. How many people are you going to put across Missionary Ridge to maintain a creek? You see? So Chattanooga, I, I, and what did John Russell Young say at four times after a victory? You know, Thomas is a no, we got to bring in Thomas in this. You know, why is Thomas... After Nashville, and, you know, why isn't he given up again? He was a Virginia Democrat. I mean, he's of no use to you. But listen, we can say the radicals, in a sense, were right. I mean, you want to reconstitute the Union and have a bunch of uh, <laughs> the old order to be established. Other questions? Any other questions? Okay, thank you very much. Well, thank you.